Hello and welcome to the Cognitive Engineering Podcast produced by me, Fraser McGrewer, for Aleph Insights. In this series of podcasts, we take a look at interesting topics and discuss what we think they tell us about analysis and decision making. I'm here with Nick Hare and Peter Coghill of Aleph Insights and also this week with our special guest, Dave Folkman. And this week we're discussing marketing. Nick, who's that? that well, he's, I don't know him. Uh, so I, let me just, why he's here, then I'll tell you a little bit about him and then he can tell you about himself. Sounds reasonable. He's much more interesting on the topic of himself than I will be. Okay. So you, you may have heard me mention the great profession of marketing yes. in the past. I'm sometimes a bit critical of it. I, it turns out this is actually a position of complete ignorance, uh-huh. right? Um, I have known Dave for zillions of years. Mm. We actually studied economics together uh, Oh, God, he's not another economist. Well, he's more he's I didn't more know that. that. I would have vetoed he's this. much more than that. But, but uh, I, I, um, Dave is also one of these people who has, he's got an uncanny... He's got a finger on the on the prostate of the zeitgeist, <laughs> and uh, we have actually we worked together on a on a startup that was way ahead of its time about fifteen years ago, which was which was about trying to turn sort of pictures into data that that uh, you know that you could use to try and work out you know if you were a, a a food or drink company trying to work out your shelf presence and that kind of stuff. It was it was too advanced. The idea was amazing, but it was a bit too advanced for where the where the tech was. But um, but the point is that uh, it, it, Dave. Has been working in the world of, of fast-moving consumer goods, and you know, and brands, and 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 uh, he's a kind of entrepreneur, set up loads of different companies, and um, a perfect person to talk about how the game has changed, uh, uh, you know, in that that world for the over the last twenty years, and where it's going. So that's why I've got him on here. We're talking about the you know the state of play with marketing, where it's gone, and where it's going to go. The big M. You're right. And and I want to find out how wrong I am and about all the rude things. I've. So one thing, I, I probably think marketing is advertising and, and Dave's probably going to tell me that's bollocks. Okay. Over to you. Uh, and, and Dave, <laughs> lovely intro. Um, Dave, beyond what uh, Nick has said, anything else you can tell us? Flesh that out for us a bit. I mean, a bit more about yourself. Uh, yeah, no, thank you very much. Wonderful to be here. Um, just a, a quick little story about Nick. So I invited uh-huh. Nick to my wedding. Uh, back in 2011, and he was the only person not to turn up for the ceremony. He was an hour late. <laughs> I'm, I'm just not surprised. Not surprised. No, he sort of, sort of sheepishly, sheepishly turned up and was like, "Yeah, how was the ceremony?" I was, like, oh, it was wonderful. I mean, we could delve into that further, but I just uh, that just that infuriates me actually on your behalf. So yeah, yeah. I would only ruin things. True, 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 true. It's better off without him. Um, okay. I mean, would it be fair to describe you as a kind of serial entrepreneur? Um, I, I, my, my career today has sort of been a game of two halves. Um, so I first started off in the big bad world of corporate. Uh, so I was at Mars and Nestle, and then at Innocent Drinks uh, for about a decade or so. Within marketing? Uh, sales and marketing. Okay. And then I took the jump into the world of entrepreneurism. Uh, so at that point, I did a bit of work with Nick, and then I started three brands. Yeah. One of those um, was a posh uh, cordial called yeah. Fiavana. Uh, which turned out not to be the wild success I hoped it would be. Uh, uh, another one was a cheesed snack called Cheesies, uh, which was and did rather well. So I managed to sell that business last year. Nice. And then a, another brand in the non-alcoholic 
uh, spirit space called Which Clean is Co. huge now. It is very big. Well, it, it it's very large if you think about the amount of press and attention that the category gets, but the yeah. sales numbers are actually not that particularly oh, okay. large. I'm sorry, what's the name of, I missed because Nick it was talking over. Uh, a company, company called Clean Co. Clean Co. All right, cool. Where are you from, Dave? Uh, I was born in Twickenham, but then moved to Sheffield when I was about one, and then moved to Manchester until I was about 18, and then went to Edinburgh with Nick here, and then back to London. He's actually mm. a soft southerner, despite his... Oh, he's got an interesting accent. accent. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, anyway, I digress. Nick, over to you. Here's our wonderful special guest, Dave. Go for it. What's marketing? Easy advertising. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no. I think is the very short. So um, marketing is a lot more than advertising. I mean, I think both marketing and advertising, this is how are you competing for someone's attention? You know, I think it simply boils down to that. Marketing is much more encompassing. So marketing is around, it could be anything from how your employees answer the phone at the office. It's what the product itself does. It could be packaging. It could be price. So I like to think as marketing is it's earned attention. So what are the things that you're doing to get attention from the consumer without you having to pay for that attention? Whereas advertising is bought attention. So in the old world, it would be, well, let's play some adverts on TV where people's attention is naturally directed and I'm gonna buy that attention from you know, ITV or Channel 4. So I think they are very distinct but quite interlinked mm. subjects. I mean, isn't 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 advertising just um, you know one weapon in the arsenal of marketing? Uh, very much so, and, yep. and there are many brands who've been successful without spending a penny on advertising. I mean, take Tesla for example. So the world's most valuable car manufacturer, they've never spent a penny on advertising. It's all been really? done. Really? Yeah, they they don't spend so any money on advertising. It's all been done through. I mean, they've got a very controversial figurehead, uh, but they have managed to build the business without any any traditional spend. Yeah, no, that's, I mean, uh, so is it fair to say that like everything you do is basically marketing? Like if you're a company, even choosing not to consider, if you don't sit down and think about, um, you know, e.g. the way that your people answer the phone, if that's even a thing these days. Do people have front desks with phones and receptionists? Absolutely. Let's say they do. Like, if you don't design something for them to say, that in itself is a kind of choice about marketing. No, right? absolutely. So when I was at Innocent Drinks, on the back of their bottles, they uh, write, fancy a chat, call the banana phone. And that was a very deliberate piece of copy. And then that phone call would then go into a random table at Innocent Drinks. So part of wow. your training was you're going to get a call from consumers and this is how you answer the banana phone. Did people actually dial the banana phone? Yeah, yeah, we got really? calls all the time. And you, you, you could speak to one of the founders or to someone in the post room. Uh, but that was a very deliberate choice as part of their marketing mix. Because they, they were very like, we're a, we're a friendly, new kind of, they were uh, that, that kind of, uh, there's probably a technical word for it, but that kind of chummy style of marketing, which I've got to be honest, really, really riles me. But it just makes me think there's something super sinister going on underneath, and I'm looking forward to hearing the goods from. Yeah, it, like so. it turns out it's made of mashed up baby chicks or something. <laughs> <laughs> well, they famously put uh, on the on the back and the, the ingredients. They they put apples, strawberries, and one and a half nuns. Oh, and, really? and then they had a number of complaints, and they had to remove that. <laughs> brilliant, brilliant. Um, but, um, so I, I know we, we had a quick chat about this. What 
um, how would you say, I mean, it feels to me like the the technology has changed a lot of things, but it must have changed. It must have had a kind of really significant effect on on how you approach, mar- you know, a marketing strategy like these days. It's, it must be totally different. Uh, just what what would you say the biggest changes are in the last, you know, 25 years? Um, well, I, I think the, the big stuff is on the technology and the number of points where you can take someone's attention. So, you know, you look at mobile phones, that's probably the most obvious place because we are all sitting on the tubes nowadays rather than reading the book or pondering the meaning of life coming into work on the tube. So yeah. ha- having uh, a significantly more number of avenues where you can advertise, I think has been the biggest change in the last sort of, 20 years or so. In, in the good old days, you know, let's go back 20 or 30 years, sort of pre, you know, pre the internet, pre mobile phones. If you're a brand and you want to reach a lot of people, you could go onto, you know, ITV Channel 4, pay for your advert, and you reach several million people. Now that has become significantly more fragmented over the years. You know, TV has less reach than it used to do. So it's become perhaps slightly harder for advertisers to reach you know, a very large number of people. Hold on, go before on. we go on, um, I find myself in the unusual position of feeling both uh, ebullient, triumphant, yeah. but depressed as well. Because, I know. Yeah. Share your problems. Yes, I shall. Which is because usually on these podcasts, we talk about stuff where you start banging on about AI or LLM and stuff like that. Oh, we're this. getting to and, that. Don't worry. Well, I want to because, and usually I sit I don't here want going, to do it now. Where I sit here going, what? Um, but in this case, I feel sorry for both myself and for Dave because the stuff that you're asking him is super basic. Okay. And wait, wait, because I come from a background where I've sort of been involved in marketing, digital marketing, all this kind of stuff. Yeah, I know about this stuff. Okay. But just as, I mean, maybe it's thinking about our audience. Maybe this is new. Why we've never asked you. (laughs) Yeah, why aren't I the special guest interviewing me, interviewing myself instead of this Dave person? Um, No, so this is quite basic stuff. Maybe it's not. Maybe, maybe for our audience, it's, you know, who, who they know about AI and stuff as well, okay? But I want to make sure we make our best use of, of, of Dave and the stuff that he's got. And so I hope I'm not sort of no, insulting no, you here, but I, I mean, but you've, you've talked again about advertising. Is, is, has tech mainly, the way that it's affected marketing, has it mainly been through what kinds of adverse, adverts you can run? Or is it like, uh, I mean, I mean, so personally, I guess, you know, I've, I see, I feel like I'm bombarded with adverts. It's not probably true compared to 30 years ago. But like things like YouTube videos, which now have a kind of paid sponsorship section, like it's the 1950s, where they pretend that they use NordVPN and stuff. Um, it just feels like it's, it's, it's everywhere more, which is, uh, I don't know, is, is that, is that uh, fair? And is that kind of, um, is, is that really what has changed about marketing? Like everything else, actually the basic principles are all the same. But but you know actually it's completely changed adver- the advertising part of it or actually is it affected more than that? Um, well, I, I think it's becoming increasingly easy to reach a vast number of people, and if you think about the the role of a marketeer, it is fundamentally how do you reach those consumers who purchased your product on few occasions? Right. So if we think about let, let's take Coke as an example because everyone understands Coke, you know. Coca-Cola is purchased an average number of, of 12 cans per year, okay? But the distribution per of that... Per person, right? 
It's going to say because they're not doing that well if it literally. No, no, is. no. But the distribution of that those purchases is significantly skewed. So most people buy a can of Coke once or twice a year. Right. And then you have some super loyal people who buy a can of Coke three times a day. Right. So actually, the job of the marketeer it's it's not to attract the people who are buying Coke three times a the day because they're going to do it. Yeah. So marketing is about how do you reach all those liked buyers because they are the people who are ultimately going to drive and grow mm. your your business. And by having technology where you're, you, know, you can get to anyone, anyone pretty much all the time, whether that's on YouTube, on their phone, on their TV, in the cinema, podcasts, for example, it's become much easier to do that than back in the days when we just didn't have access to this technology. Yeah. So I guess I guess easier in some sense that everyone is staring at a screen a lot of the time but harder because the options are so vast and different and so designing it designing an optimal strategy is probably quite complicated compared to how it used to be yeah and i think that's partly where some of the art comes in in terms of what the content and the creative is that you then see uh and i've got a friend who who runs an advertising agency and he said you know their, their number one priority is to make brands famous now that's harder than it sounds because you can come up with a wonderful campaign full of creativity and it falls in its backside. So it, it's it's still that I think that the, the what you show people is that where the art comes in, whereas the technology is allowed a more structured way to reach those people. But also, also at some point, it's got to tie into a bottom line. Um, even if the point is making these brands famous, let's say, at some point that needs to translate into sales as well. Um, and, and the way that happens is tricky, right? But is yeah. it better understood now, though? Like, do we, do, you'd think that... But also I, the consumer is more savvy as well, I think. But anyway, so... Well, I, I think the, the, the <laughs> chief role of advertising is, is not to generate sales in that moment. So the main reason why you advertise is to build and reinforce memory structures for a brand. Right. Mm. So if you think about that Coke example, if I ran a Coke advert for Christmas and I know that most people are only going to buy my can of Coke once or twice a year, the chances are they're not going to buy during that time of year. So it's why Coke will run the same adverts again and again mm. and again, is so that when you are in the mood for a cola, you go to the shop and you remember red. You look at all of the different yeah. brands of yeah. cola available. Yeah. And, and remember, Coke is cola, so you pick up a, a can. So it, advertising is about the memory rather than trying to sell to you immediately. Right. Yeah. The, way, the, way, the way I think about it is like they, they, the advertising implants a sort of heuristic in your head that when you think, oh, thirsty and I'm in a shop, you go, oh, Coke. It kind of like links those the, the, the feeling of thirstiness and seeing people being satisfied when they're drinking a Coke with that thing that you can I, have. I guess that we must have some sense of confusing familiarity with with quality or something i mean that that we must rely on us thinking that something that we're we've seen before or heard about is more likely to be good right that must is that true i know, I know it makes it sound kind of like they're exploiting us but um no i think that's completely true and, and part of the, the role of the, the brand and advertising is to make you feel comfortable and yeah. familiar with those brands yeah you know, we're, we're all very busy people so we don't really no one really sits there and ponders and about brands you know that really doesn't happen but it's in that occasion when you're looking to make a purchase you will pick up the product that you're most familiar with 
I mean, we often talk about physical and mental availability. Right. So to grow a brand, you, you, you've basically got to have both. So Coke wouldn't be where it is unless it was physically distributed everywhere. They talk about within, within arm's reach. They want a can or a bottle of Coke to always be within arm's reach of any consumer on the planet. And that does sound very dark, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, we won't so, rest. <laughs> yeah, don't give an AI that as an objective. <laughs> <laughs> So, so part of the, the growth of a brand will be from where it's simply placed. And then the other side is mental availability, and that's where advertising comes in and the ability to, over time, for you to remember that brand. So in, in the old days, I, I, was, I think I've heard this from someone, um, or it was just a commonplace. Uh, people used to advertise, but they had no idea whether it was worth doing, right? They used to, everyone knows you spend a certain amount of money. I don't know how much, maybe you can tell me, but how much it costs to run an advert on BBC, oh, sorry, on ITV or whatever. Um, you know, you, you run an advert and then some people buy your products, but you don't really know uh, whether the advert has caused them to do that. Whereas, whereas, you know, nowadays you think, well, I can actually see what they're looking at almost. I can see what they're clicking on and, you know, how many times they've physically seen it. It, so it feels to me like we must have a really good idea about how much you get from you know advertising and also like what affects it does it is it does it help if it's flashing on and off or is that worse does it help if it's red or green you know is all of that true or is, is it still yeah I mean advertising agents will sell you very sophisticated models to demonstrate that the adverts that you've just purchased have influenced sales in various ways so I, I think we are getting much better at that. But if you go back to my earlier point that advertising is, is sales are built over time rather than you run an advert and you suddenly sell twice as much as you did the day before. That, right. that, that doesn't really happen. So the influence of those ads is actually less uh, impactful than perhaps you may think. But what, how do they know it works? Is it just voodoo? They just hope it works. And because everyone spends money on it, no one Well, they'll, 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 they'll go out and they'll speak to consumers so they'll understand why you picked up pro uh, product X, Y, and Z so that you may say, well, I saw it on TV three months ago. So yeah. there, there, there is some qualitative research that takes place, but it, it, it's still a little bit of a, a dark art. See, that that's side. really but interesting. I would have assumed it's, it's just techies pressing a button, estimating a model and saying, right, we must up our advertising spend by £3.50 per click or something. Yeah, uh, but also, I mean, clearly I'm not the expert, despite what I said earlier, um, that Dave is. Um, but also you're in danger of confusing advertising and, and I know, marketing I, again. I, we keep getting sucked right? down. But also, um, and so therefore we're talking about this thing of why are you spending money on a certain thing because it's not necessarily for direct sales. But also, but, you're, but also things like stuff has changed to do with tech, thinking about social media advertising, stuff like that, yeah. where it is more measurable, I think. Um, but it's still just, you know, when I've advertised myself, there you go, I'm doing it as well, marketing advertising, just because you get more clicks it's still like, well, where's my bloody money? Like, I'm spending all this money with you and I'm getting great awareness or engagement, whatever, but I still need people to spend money with me. But anyway, my point is, it, it, there, it has become more measurable. There are more metrics available, right? So It's certainly on the, on the digital side. Yeah. And running adverts on you know, Instagram or TikTok, you know, even if that is you're selling something which is purely online, it could then influence sales in mainstream distribution. So if I think about... Cheesies, which is the snack brand which I had, we started off purely on direct consumer. And we knew exactly how much it cost Dave, us. Dave, sorry, what does that mean? 
uh, direct consumer. I, I know you know what it means. <laughs> I, I think I, I think I know what it means. But... Uh, so, so products that you can only purchase via the internet that ah. you will receive. So it wasn't at in home. shops. It, uh, when we when we started, we had no physical distribution. It was purely online. So, so that it, explains why I've never I've not seen cheesies in my local shop, even though I want to have some now. You've well, made it's, me it's, desperately it's, want It's cheesies. now in your local uh, Waitrose and I think WH Smith's around the corner. Oh, cool. So pick we, up we, we should, we should, get, we should definitely get some, yeah. unless you've got some free stuff you give us. <laughs> um, so um, with, with that model, you can have a very clear acquisition cost. I mean, we, call, we call it CAC, so customer acquisition cost. Uh, and that's very measurable and you can track that over time. But actually, as we then went with cheeses... Oh, wait, wait a minute. So this is the... How much you have to spend is yeah. it to get on average one person? Co correct. Right, and what what to buy on is one that occasion? One p is it ten pounds? What's the what what's the ballpark kind of? Uh, uh, well, it's very much category dependent. Also, because it depends what you want them to buy. If they're buying a Ferrari, you mean it's you category probably dependent? <laughs> yeah, I think Dave was about to say that. <laughs> can you carry on? <laughs> so, so just to sort of bring a bit of life to that, when we started Cheesies, which was back in 2019, it would cost us two to three pounds to get a new customer. But really? then that, that customer could then come and repeat purchase. That seems like an awful lot to me somehow. But he just said they could repeat purchase. I know, but like two to three. So you, I don't know how much it costs for one impression, as I believe it's it's known. But but is that... Is that because you, you're spending something where, um, you know, a million people see it, only one buys it? Is it that Just kind a, of, yeah. Not quite those numbers, but that, that's essentially the, the theory. Right. That we, we would have to buy 3,000 impressions for one person to, you know, ultimately purchase. Um, but back in 2021, um, you probably won't remember, but Apple released iOS 14, which was, uh, it gave you as the uh, owner of an iPhone, the ability to restrict how your data was shared. So as an advertiser, prior to that point, we could target people's interests, their age groups, their location. So that made the advertising a bit more efficient. After that period, all of that went. So we were sort of shooting somewhat in the dark. So after that, our acquisition costs jumped up quite significantly. So it, all of this data that the advertisers get, where where, and I guess it's like if I read a story about a dog, they'll, I'm likely to see adverts about dogs. Is, is that what they use it for? Essentially, they more, how, more, how do they more, measure my? How do they know what my interests are? Well, w less now than they used to be able to do, particularly if you're on a, if you're an iPhone. Uh, but they, you know, you'll have cookies placed in your website, so you'll be tracked around the internet in terms of what you follow and what adverts Google will will show you to, as an example. So great. Um, I wanted to sort of broaden this out a bit and maybe get a bit more sort of higher level thinking about this. Higher level thinking. I think Nick, go. <laughs> That's a lie. That's a lie, of course. But go um, on. Yeah, I think so. You touched on something I think is really interesting, which is this: like, is it good for me to um, to have my data used to show me uh, adverts that are more likely, or let's say products in general, like for me to be aware of products that are more likely to suit me? It feels obviously the case that that's better. If someone goes, would you like, if, if you really like cars, are you interested in learning about new types of car or new types of dog biscuit? The answer is types of car. And yet people don't like it. Like, I don't like the idea of adverts being targeted to me. Why? Is that a known phenomenon in, in the world of marketing? And how do people, how can you, you know, what do you do about the fact that people don't like adverts? 
Well, um, I think some people you know, find adverts a, a, a necessary evil to uh, <laughs> find out about new products. But uh, the idea that a targeted advert is going to be better received, it, you know, if you look at the data, it's, it's true because you have those interests. But uh, it, 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 for a brand to really grow, they still need to go back to this point around reach. Yeah. So, you know, you seeing adverts which aren't necessarily specific to your interests would still mean that at some point you may go on to purchase that particular item. Mm. Otherwise, how do you find out about new things, new categories? On my 40th birthday, Facebook showed me an advert for incontinence pants. Yeah, my wife. <laughs> I, I about... pissed myself in rage. <laughs> <laughs> but I thought that was extraordinary. On my 40th birthday, I'd never seen an advert for incontinence, incontinence pants ever. Yeah, my wife's just got a leaflet through the door addressed specifically to her for, uh, is it Stenner chairlifts or whatever they're called? <laughs> yeah, yeah. She was outraged. <laughs> yeah. Quite right to say. Um, but, but, um, well, the answer to that is give the advertising uh, system more data about you isn't it to make it more tight yeah to make it more I, I mean what's the difference between that and you know like uh, it's a bit like tinder or something isn't it i mean you know you want you you want to be matched with products that you like and those products want to be matched with you right so it's kind of uh, uh, you know there's so a market a for that yeah. information yeah. and we hold on but for we've that. we've covered this ground before which is as it should be aleph right which is you know algorithms within spotify and netflix etc gener generating stuff you is that good or bad right so this is the same, yeah? But also, we're still talking about advertising again. Now that's okay if we want to talk about advertising, but we keep going back to advertising. But more importantly, I want to hear from Peter. Peter, have you got a question or an observation? Well, well I think, I think the, the, the A reaction, to the, apart from the aversion to this sort of perceived invasion of privacy, it is to give the system more data. I'd be quite happy to outsource essentially to some, some sort of agent in the world lining up for me things that I might want if it was good enough you know it would save me time searching for things it'd be so like oh I need to buy some new shoes what are all the shoes out there that suits me if the system knew my preferences and knew my requirements better and could just sort of do that query for me and occasionally put them in front of me then like that would, I'd, I'd love that system but that would require me to give it more data so I think it's I think I think it'd be reasonable to do that to, to sort of have a, a, a prof a advertising profile that I fill out loads of information in, and then companies like yours can 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 use it with my you know with my explicit kind of like um, uh, approval. I it makes me wonder if I mean it, you know how like matching technologies have been a really big part of you know the growth of kind of well the things like Uber. Like, you know, we all, in theory, matching a driver to a someone who wants a journey. And, um, you know, Airbnb uh, and all these other kind of things where a market is made to exist. Or Deliveroo, you know, we, we've got a proliferation of companies that can, um, that, that now, you know, it used to be just pizza. Now it's loads of restaurants because it's so easy to sell to people, right? And, and those apps are trying to match me to uh, the products. If you had that and it worked perfectly, would there be any need to worry about marketing at all or would it be all about just the product would you just go well i want my product to be exactly what as many people as well i, th I think want. that there are there are countless um brands and products which have been very successful without having to spend advertising yeah and part of that has been the development of new technology categories so take take grinder because we right. mentioned tinder so so the founder of grinder the guy who's back in la back in the mid 2000s and his pain point was when he walked into a, he was a 
gay guy. When he walked into a room, he wasn't sure who was gay in the room. Yeah. And it could be quite embarrassing going up to 20 guys and coming onto them because, you know, heterosexual men don't have that They've issue. You've got to waste a lot of time getting <laughs> through all exactly. the heterosexuals, yeah. And when the iPhone 2 came out, that had this sort of geolocation capabilities, which wasn't the iPhone 1. And they opened up the app store to third-party um, software developers. And he thought, right, well, I, the technology now exists. I can develop a product where I can help gay men locate other gay men. And that was the start of Tinder. And they spent nothing Grindr. on, sorry, Grinder. They spent absolutely nothing av on advertising. They had uh, Grinder parties where they'd get a load of gay guys together. They would talk about the app. And then because it was such a pain point for that community, it just spread like wildfire. And apparently the, the early app was absolutely awful. It had, got, had one star, it kept on crashing, but the pain point and the solution that was enabled because of the technology was there around geolocating yeah. allowed them to, to grow the business. That's brilliant. And the genius to have the perception to see that, because it's when you explain it post-event, it's like, yes, of course, but he's the guy who did it, right? Which is remarkable. Um, I've got a couple of questions I want to ask Dave, but you go for it, um, Nick. There's, is, it, is it fair to say that a lot of marketing, and I mean marketing rather than advertising, is about information, right? That actually what you're trying to do is there's a kind of information problem, which is that we don't all know everything all the time, right? And um, so you want to inform people primarily that your product exists and that it's going to suit someone. You want it, you and you you want that you want the people who are going to buy it to know about it, right? Is it fair to say that that's the mission of of marketing? Um, broadly, yes. What is what is there apart from that? Um, well, uh, uh, generating consistent and ongoing sales. I mean, I guess that's interlinked with finding new people, but fundamentally, marketing is about getting the attention of as many people as possible with your product. Now. The best way to do that is have such a, a blindingly good product. It mm. sells itself and is remarkable in the sense that people remark about it. You know, you don't have to spend a single penny in advertising. And there have been some you know, examples in the history where that has got done very well. And I, and I guess social media uh, has really, in theory, you'd think, well, that, that will allow the word to spread, right? So word of mouth now has vastly more channels. You know, if I like something and I talk about it on Facebook because uh, I'm a boomer, um, then, you know, 150 people find out about it rather than just me talking to some three people down the pub. Yeah. So um, it feels like that should massively improve the, and the I reach think a of a key, good product. A key part of that is how would you make a brand or a product distinct? So rather yeah. than simply differentiating, so let's take water, for example. So I love that stuff. We, we love a bit of water. Yeah. So there's, there's a brand in the U.S. called Liquid Death. Right, <laughs> and they sell cans of water. So there's actually no real differentiation versus any other water product. Yeah, you know, water's water. I mean, whichever, where does the which, death come in? Well, it's, it's it just doesn't a, right. It's it, just, you can drown in it. Just I guess. A, it's just a thing. Yeah, but, but it's a, yeah. in a very crowded, bottled water space. These guys came out with t essentially two distinct assets. So they put water in a can, and it looks like an energy drink. And it has a an image of a bleeding skull on the right, front. Right, cool. And right. this brand is now doing multiple billion dollars in the is US. Is this inspiring or depressing? <laughs> I mean, yeah. So it's, tap, it's tapping into the sort of energy drink market who don't necessarily want to drink it. Completely, drinks, but it, it was so distinct, people talked about it on social media. And the brand basically blew up because it looked so different to anything that was else on the, yeah. the water shelf. 
So as a, as, a, as a marketeer, one of your key requirements is how do you create a product or a brand that is completely distinct? It doesn't have to fundamentally be different. It has to look. Yeah, that's really, there's, uh, yeah. I know, no, it's, it's really interesting because, because, because this is the, pro, this is like um, what they call, uh, I think it's, um, uh, I can't remember the term for it. It's basically a kind of self-defeating uh, sort of approach of of let's say you come out with something new and novel by definition you cannot then just copy that because it'll no longer you know when someone else brings out an obvious uh you know liquid death clone um it's not going to work now right you you've always got to find something new the question is like is that something that we might be able to automate is is to what extent is the world of marketing With finding AI, uses? You, you, you yeah <laughs> yeah ai like to identify okay this this is this has sold in the past but in order to get this in order to get people interested in this it's got to be different in this way or I mean, because it feels a bit like, well, it's like trying to get a, an AI, a trained AI to come up with a picture that is unlike any other picture ever made. Well, it, it can't really because it's trained on only the pictures from the past. So it feels like, you know, if you're a genius marketer, if you're the, the, the legend who came up with Liquid Death, um, AI isn't going to be of much use. Like you, you've really got to kind of think of something totally new um, in order to, you know, in order to, uh, to, to get that kind of differentiation. Yeah, and I think you know, that that creativity is still going to come from people rather than the AI. But I think as we move into the future, the AI is going to help with how you then place your adverts, where you put them, what you pay for them. Because there's such a proliferation of, you know, you, right now we could go and advertise on TV, we can go on radio, we can go on cinema, we can go on social media, we can sponsor football teams. Yeah, you know, there, there is an incredible number of avenues you can go down, whereas I think AI will provide some value to help the brand owner understand where they should be, where they should place the adverts. OK, so we, we need to start to draw to a, a close. I've got a couple of questions I want to ask Dave. But before we do anything, any burning observations or questions, uh, Peter? So yeah, I, I'm interested to dig a bit more into how AI is going to fundamentally change. I, I, I posited the idea of like uh, giving a system more information about me to make the targets, make the adverts more useful may allow me allow brands to have develop an even more data-driven approach to their marketing strategy towards people like me who are you know consumers who've got a sort of uh, a strong awareness of data privacy and what data i release but would like more control would you know agree that it's a symbiotic relationship between brands and the consumer of which i'm one so it's like what 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 else could AI actually change? I mean, the pure creativity of coming up with liquid death aside, what else can it do to bridge that gap between the marketeer, the brand and the product and the consumer? Yeah, I, I think we're sort of veering into this sort of space where you have um, AI driven virtual assistants and um, a world where you are no longer interacting with the brand necessarily um, you know, via a website or, or on, your, on your mobile phone. So you could have a scenario where a AI-driven um, version of yourself is answering questions that you have about a particular product. You know, ra rather than you going to the mm. EasyJet website, you log on to their, you know, their app and it is a, you know, a version of Stelios uh, responding to questions that you have in a very sort of personal way, and that's that could be driven by yeah. or by AI. So that opens up a whole 
another way that the brand can engage with people you can engage through through some sort of chat interface but but also i've what just about had an idea for a brilliant code project you can work on where you're interested in buying something to do with an analysis and insight and you go you search <laughs> and you get this version this holistic version of nick Hare, who will talk to you and you know talk over you yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I just expanding that a bit, uh, and I was just thinking about you know what you're saying about really this is about trying to kind of um, uh, the the reason that that data is useful is it allows you to find the people who. But what about allowing that using that as data to help drive your pro to change your product? And also, like I was just thinking about. Um, Things like, so I've got some AI art on my wall, which was, I took a photo, got, turned it into a painting by Edward Hopper, printed it out, and it's now, I really like it. But that's the only copy in the universe, right? Because it's a, um, you know, it's a one-off driven by the AI. What, what about having... Not yet, though. What, but what, <laughs> couldn't they use my, um, couldn't they, couldn't they use my data to design the perfect crisp flavour? You know, and, and to, to, so it's not just about finding the people who like salt and vinegar. It's about actually saying, oh, Nick yeah. Hare, he likes, you know, crab this, and horseradish uh, this is crisps. This is where I was going to, yeah, personalization, I think, is a de growing trend in everything that you do online, in life now. So, yeah, is that something that, that people are exploring is to really kind of almost personalize brands to individuals? Yeah, I, I mean, it's a very interesting space. The, the, the challenge is how do you... Uh, from an operations perspective, how, how how do you actually how do you make you, money? You know, from how that? how do you do that? Because yeah. if you want your own flavored crisps, just make them at home. You know, a, a, bra a brand unfortunately <laughs> is not going to uh, have the manufacturing yeah. capacity to I do think that. Things like crisps probably that relies on you suddenly deciding you're hungry while you're in the shops next to some crisps. But things that are virtual online so maybe you know for example like the times newspaper right it's very st stolid and looked the same for decades an alternative to that would be um something that changes the font changes the the the, the content the the selection of content changes how it's presented to you to be personalized to you um but the, it's it draws from a common batch of things uh that's created by you know by people or by agents, but then it's but it's but it's somehow adapted to you to be more appealing. Yeah, I mean we're already seeing that. So if you go onto any of the the grocery supermarket websites, what you will see will be very different to what I see. Mm. So you're already being based on particularly if you've got a purchase history based on your historical uh, yeah purchases. So mm. that 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 is very much happening. So it's uh, champagne. And you see champagne and uh, caviar. Exa Peter exactly. sees a bag of potatoes. <laughs> yeah. 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 yeah, the Sainsbury's own value yeah. beans. Yeah. <laughs> Um, sorry, we need to stop there. Um, I've got um, a question and a half for you, Dave. It's I think it's a brilliant question. Could be really banal, let's see. Um, it's, it's quite simply this. You've been doing this kind of stuff about 20 years or so, 30 years yep. maybe. Um, not, not 30, but... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're not and, that old. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so my question is this, but encouraging you to think from a 40,000 foot view, right? Which is what's... And it is very simple. What's your biggest sort of disaster that you've had conceptually, like where you might have missed the point about the whole marketing game or something like that, if, if you see what I mean? What, what do you think you've got wrong? Or what would you go back and tell, uh, you know, 25-year-old Dave yeah. to do differently, it's not, I guess? And I don't mean the time that you meant to spend, you know, 100 quid on clicks and end up spending a million quid yeah. by mistake. I'm more just a general thing. And also turning that around. What's your big thing? You've been in this world for quite a while. What's your big... Takeaway to use a, you know, um, 
That's a wonderful question. <laughs> I knew it was brilliant. I knew it was brilliant. Right. Uh, I think the biggest takeaway is not to underestimate the need for distinctiveness. So I've had a few, you know, w worked with some very large brands who didn't do this particularly well. And they released products that didn't set themselves uh, and position themselves any differently from what else was on, on the shelf. From a packaging, branding, product perspective. Whereas the, the brands that have been much more successful I've worked with have done things in a very distinct and ownable way. That, that itself poses some interesting challenges because there's only so many colors that you oh, can it's perceive tricky. and there's only so many kind of thing, you know, designs that you can have without the, becoming just such a polluted noise on a shelf. That yeah, no, no, I, I completely agree. And then I think that's where the art comes in. So there, mm. there's an author called Seth Godin who's written you know, a million and one marketing books. And his first book was called Purple Cow. And he sold the book inside a milk Tetra pack. So on a bookshelf, <laughs> mm. there are a series of Tetra packs, which is completely distinct, completely unexpected. Mm. And he did rather well. So it, it's try, the, the artistic creative yeah. side comes like in it, there yeah. where you're yeah. trying to be distinct. Great answers, by the way. And what's, and so then flipping over, what's your sort of biggest, interpret it as you like, regret, disillusionment, but like I say, from a very... Uh, this podcast. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> One of those. Yeah. Absolutely catastrophic. Probably the biggest pain point. One of the business, I've, I won't name it, but we, we spent a, a significant amount of money on a TV campaign. Um, and the thing we didn't really think about was, could we do it again and again and again? So we ran one TV campaign, expected it to change the world. And it did absolutely nothing. Now, if we'd managed to run that campaign, you know, once every six months, once every 12 months over a number of years, then I think mm -hmm. it probably would have worked. So conceptually, what does that translate to? Um, <laughs> if you're going to build a brand or a marketing, make sure you've got very deep pockets to run lots of advertising. Mm. Yeah. If you're going to um, take Vienna, take Vienna, as yeah. Napoleon said. <laughs> nice. Um, okay. So if I were to meet you in the pub and say, what do you do? You would, what would you say? What would be your quick answer to me? Your, what would you say? This isn't the question, by the way, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is a softener. <laughs> uh, I, I put it I'm a, a, an entrepreneur. There we go. So my question is this. Um, if you weren't an entrepreneur, what would you be in this parallel universe of Dave Folkman elsewhere? What, what would you do? Who are you? Uh, that's a good question. Um, you gave me an existential crisis now. Yeah. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know what? I would be an artist. So when I was 18, uh, I had done my A-levels, and I, I did economics, art, and maths. And I had a placement in Manchester Art School, and I had an offer for Edinburgh University. And I had a conversation with my dear father, and he said, if you go and do art, you're going to be penniless. So I went and <laughs> studied economics and business studies with Nick. <laughs> I think that's fascinating. Fascinating. Oh, there's so much to ask beyond that, but I can't. We'll leave it out there. But I think that's really, it's not too late, right? 
Well, exactly. You know, you could, well, could, there's could, some... could, could go back. There's, well, yeah. that's true. It's, it's easier to, to, to become an artist from being an economist, I think, than the other way around, I would have thought. But maybe that's just economics arrogance I'm talking. But, yeah. Um, nah, nah, surely not. Not from you. No. no. Well, being I'm an thinking... artist, you should really sort of die, I, I... die young, right? You know, I should have died yeah. in my Yeah, true. You're, you're too old to die yeah, young. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're going to stop there. Uh, Dave, that was brilliant. Loved that. I really did. I thought that was fantastic. Yeah, what to say other than thank you very much. You thank know? you, guys. Been absolute pleasure. Thank you, as always, for listening to the Cognitive Engineering Podcast. I'm Fraser McGrew. We've been here with Nick Hare and Peter Coghill of Aleph. And our special guest, thank you very much, Dave Folkman. Goodbye. Mm-hmm.